You are now listening to episode 10 of Running for Office, the podcast. I'm your host, Claudia Zapata. And today, I have a special co-host, Christina Plord, host of CMP Podcast. Hi, Christina. Hello. Thank you for having me. Well, no, welcome. I This has been, guys, this has been in the works for maybe like a, a few weeks now. Yes, yes. I am literally the worst person on the face of this planet. (laughs) And I kept on having things come up that prohibited this. So I'm so sorry. No, it's okay. You know, life gets in the way like that. I had an issue too. And it was just like, we kept missing each other. I know. So I'm so happy to finally have this. Like, yeah, like guys, I turned around from getting my wings. Yes. <laughs> That's how much I was like, we are going to get this episode done. Because <laughs> yes. I love this. I know. I felt so bad. Like I said, I was like, oh no, her wings. <laughs> it's so good. So guys, um, I know that y'all are used to me having a very like structured and very short um, podcast, especially like a very politically inclined uh, podcast. Uh, But we were wanting to kind of change that up because we've been kind of following each other and supporting each other for a few months now. Um, And lately, Christina has actually gone into caring and putting more thought into certain themes regarding her episodes. So Christina, do you want to tell us a little bit about your podcast? So that way the listeners know what to expect and so they can check you out. Yeah, yeah. So my podcast, um, it stands for uh, uh, Crime, Murder, and the Paranormal. Those have always been things that I have been interested in. I feel like a lot of people are all interested in them. Um, But the, for me, those stories are more, at least the crime and murder part, are more about how they affect the community and everything and things that, and cases that show uh, what needs to kind of change into our society. And I wanted to make a podcast that was dedicated to the victims because I think a lot of the times people, we all get wrapped up in the stories, like they're juicy stories, but we also have to remember like there's people behind those stories and those are their lives and um, these things happen to them that we're reading about. So kind of to bring that respect back and um, turn the conversation into what we can learn from this case so that it doesn't happen again in the future. Exactly. And I think that's one thing that I love about your show, because I think a lot of my listeners will agree with me in the sense that at times it can be as if the person who committed these crimes is glorified and is made infamous. And that's not something that I want to support. So guys, this podcast is definitely the opposite of that. Yes, yes. No, I, um, like you said, like a it's glorified. People get wrapped up in the stories. Like we hear about Ted Bundy and the Night Stalker and Jeffrey Dahmer. And it's crazy for people to read those stories um, alone because it's hard to wrap your head around the things that you're reading about. Like to really read that and think, 
wow, like this happened to somebody. Like this is how someone lost their life or what they've had to carry on for the rest of their life. But people forget about that and they're focused on, well, why why did they do this? And let's focus on the person who did them where at the same time you hear that's the what they wanted. They wanted to be glorified. They wanted to be immortalized in a way and to be talked about for times to come, but we don't hear anything about the victims. Exactly. And I think that's something that we need to start focusing on more in society, just point blank. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not giving the people who commit these crimes the time of day. Like, you know, who are they? Who? Who who was that person? Oh, I don't know them. That sort of thing. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your most recent episode? Yeah, yeah. So um, the episode that we did this past week was on the Polly Class case basically held her and her two friends hostage, ended up uh, kidnapping Polly. Um, She did end up losing her life. And the reason I picked that case um, to talk about, which I go into a little bit in the beginning and at the end, it was, was I wanted to start doing more cases that changed the laws going forward. So for example, with this case, um, with the crime that happened, they ended up passing the three strikes law in California, which is that if a offender is convicted of two serious crimes, such as assault, um, rape, murder, and they somehow get out, um, once they have that third crime, they are immediately in prison for life, which was the case with um, her killer. He had multiple convictions, and technically speaking, he probably should have already been in jail, and then this wouldn't have happened. Um, I wanted to follow this theme for the next couple months because of the Brandon Bernard case that I'm sure your listeners and you have We've heard about for the past week, week and a half now, um, which was a man who was on death row for a murder that he did not commit. He just happened to be there and he ended up actually being put down with the death penalty, um, even though he never pulled the trigger and he had no intentions of killing people. And that converse, that situation kind of brings about the conversation of the death penalty and um, the injustice that's within our justice system. I think that you just kind of like nailed it. (laughs) I I definitely think that it clearly points out um, exactly the theme that you have with your podcast. And then just even moving forward, just showing those like inequalities that exist like I I'm like right now I'm looking at the picture of Davis when he was in the courtroom Mm -hmm. and I'm just he's flicking the camera off Mm -hmm. and I was just bewildered whenever I saw that photo because I was like how is it that people who are guilty of crimes like this you know are seen as they're just seen differently in society than like an unarmed black man yeah it just it makes absolutely no sense to me yeah no definitely and the crazy part was too about that picture is it he was flipping off the family his point was even to flip off the cameras but that's the picture that gets passed around you don't see the pictures of polly and her family and her living life and having fun on the media all you see are these pictures of this guy that his whole point was to, in a way, get attention and be immortalized and commit a serious crime. And he almost gets let off the hook with what happened. And it's, and then you see someone like Brandon Bernard, um, 
like I said in my episode, it's one of those cases, if you read into it, it's like a wrong place, wrong time situation. And he had, he made some poor decisions, but he never had any intention of killing them, nor were his decisions warranted enough for him to be given the death penalty and to never see his kids. Um, And I feel like that's not talked about a lot because it's easy for people, especially when you live in like suburbia America, it's easy for people to kind of like turn their head and pretend it's not there because they're not surrounded by it. They're not seeing what people in Chicago are going through or even the black experience in America of being terrified when a cop even comes to your door. And they're just ignored. And I just don't think that that's fair. I mean, I like snaps. I 100%. (laughs) And I feel like a lot of this is just me agreeing with you. But it's because I, I can't even put into words like how much like I just want to have a photo like above you that says this. Yeah. Because that's exactly how I feel. And I know that my listeners are like snapping and clapping like alongside me, because that was so poignant and so well put. Yes. And so I think that definitely shows how your show, although while it may be like a crime and murder paranormal podcast, which is, you know, like fun. Yeah. um, But it also covers like the seriousness and like the reality. Yeah. So it's an escape. Like, trust me, like it's very enjoyable. I absolutely love your episodes. Love, 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 love. And I've always supported, um, and so just for, you know, for my listeners, y'all, it's it's a good escape, but it's also a great way to learn. Yeah. Um, so it's definitely like one of those where you can sit back and listen to it and it's interesting, keeps your attention, but then you also come away at the end and you're like, oh, snap, like I didn't know that and yeah. now I do and now I have, you know, more knowledge and wisdom about the world itself. Yes. yes. And like like you said like um it is an escape and we have our laughs like uh we have every Wednesday usually I release a kind of paranormal powwow it's what it's called and we read these paranormal stories that are on Reddit and for all we know half of them could be fake but it's like you said the escape but it should only be a, an escape to a certain extent, you know, like still with a level of respect. Like I've listened to other uh, criminal podcasts and it's it's a good podcast, but there's no emotion or respect for the victims. And you can tell they're doing it to glorify kind of the idea of a serial killer and a murder. And all of that is mind blowing in itself. Don't get me wrong. I'm the first person that'll tell you I will. I've spent the past 23 years of my life trying to figure out why people do the things they do. Like that's always been an interest for me, but we also have to remember the stories and the lives that are behind that. Like people lost their mothers, their daughters, their sons, their fathers, their mothers. They've had sustained serious injuries that now they can either die from later in life or they're paralyzed for the rest of their life. And that's something that like, that's deep trauma and you need to have a certain level of respect for that as well. Exactly. And I know that right now you just mentioned, you know, that this is something that you've researched and and been involved with your whole life is, you know, kind of like the psychology behind people's actions and like the traumas that affect them and how their environment plays into into their actions or their inactions. Um, Do you want to tell everyone maybe a little bit about yourself, maybe just like a quick background um, and maybe where you're located too, because everyone knows that I'm here in Texas. 
Um, I am actually all the way in Connecticut, so it's pretty cool that we're now in the 21st century, and it's like, at any given moment, I could talk to you, and you're fucking 1,500 miles away, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. But, yeah, I, so I was born and raised in Connecticut, I'm still here, uh, love the New England, but don't get me wrong, eventually I would like to leave New England, me and my boyfriend have goals to eventually move to either like Colorado, Texas, California, kind of that side of the country. Um, but yeah, so born and raised in a small town in Connecticut. Um, I have an autoimmune disease. So with COVID and everything, I lost my restaurant job and I've just been focusing on school and everything because um, due to my autoimmune disease, I am not allowed to take a lot of jobs. Like I can't work retail. I can't work in the restaurant because of that. Um, I have a little Jack Russell Terrier and me and my boyfriend have been together for about six years now. And I actually just graduated college last week. So that was, that was I fun. Know <laughs> <laughs> yes. So that was fun. But yeah, no, I'm pretty like, I'm like the introverted type. Like I don't, I've never been someone that like goes to the bars or anything. And the times that I have, I feel like I stick out like a sore thumb. I'm like the person I'm like Netflix and laying in bed with my dog and I'm happy. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Well, one, I know you do not stick out like a sore thumb, <laughs> but if you prefer, you know, being all cozied up and wrapped up with your doggo, then I support that too. Yes. 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 Like for right, like for example, today, we're actually getting a northeastern. Um, we're getting like 12 to 16 inches of snow. So I'm just like, yep, it's a hot chocolate. We're going to watch some movies. We're going to relax and just hang out. We're going to chill. <laughs> oh, my God. I remember because I, I lived in New York for a little while. Mm -hmm. And I remember that I went to my roommate's uh mother's place which was in Massachusetts yes and it was like during October early November and it was I, I don't even know like maybe 50 degrees outside but this South Texas girl was freezing her yes. ass off <laughs> and I remember that the heater inside was set to like 64 mm -hmm. and they were like oh it's so nice and warm and I was literally shaking because like, I was what? freezing yeah, I know. Like I'm right now you're talking about getting snow and over here it's like, oh, it's 41, <laughs> but I have the heater set to 74, like which I'm sure you would melt if it yes. was 74. Oh my god, yeah. I'd be like, "Oh, why I'm sweating." Claudia, turn it oh, down, please. <laughs> and I'm just like, "Oh, I'm cozy. It's like the like, womb." Perfect. Yes. No, I would love so to like live in like the snow. It's like I like New England all the way up to like now when it's winter and it's like that like brittle cold that you can feel in your bones and I'm like take me out of here I'm packing my bags and I'm leaving like oh I at like October on no thank you I'm out I'm good <laughs> it's so funny because I would I would choose New England really? I would wholeheartedly choose because well I mean as far, so it's funny because I'm a very, very prideful Texan. Like yeah. I, I didn't know how much of a Texan I was until I lived in New York. Yeah. And then I was like, oh no, like I am very, very proud of Texas and yeah. I miss it desperately because, you know, we have great food. 
We have oh, great yeah. weather all the time. All my family's here. The yeah. people are pretty great. But then you got like the politics and like, you know, like. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> and so you're just like, oh, okay, never mind. I don't you're think like, I, I like, like that. that. <laughs> exactly. No, I definitely agree. Um, and so I don't know. I know that for some of my listeners, they know that I host a, what I like to call Therapy Thursdays because yes. I, I attend oh, therapy um, weekly every Thursday. And then at the end of the day, I always like to kind of like recap about like what I learned mm-hmm. um, during that uh, that meeting just so that way we normalize the conversation around mental health. No, definitely. As far as as my listeners, um, as far as you want to let them know, because once again, this is all completely up to you. I won't press any subjects or any matters. Yeah. Um, you want to talk about any of your experiences, like when it comes to mental health, health struggles, or maybe that you've seen other endure, others endure? Yeah, no. Um, so my, so the thing is like growing up, um, and I feel like especially in kind of our generation, um, the whole mental health wasn't something that we talked about a lot, like going growing up in school and everything. It wasn't something that you were told, like, if you're feeling this way, it's normal. Like, people have those feelings. This is what it can be, and this is how you can help yourself. So I didn't realize I had anxiety and depression until I was in college. Um, it was my first slash second year of college. Um, I struggled with anxiety, depression. I had um, an eating disorder and I got super, super skinny. And um, I always say this to this day, um, my boyfriend's the one that he's always been my ride or die. And he was the one who sat me down and was like, this is worrying me. I'm worried about you. I want you to get help. Like it's okay. Because I thought I was crazy. Like I genuinely thought I was losing my mind. Like I'm going to be committed. I'm, I'm, no one likes me. Like what is wrong with me? Um, and he was the one who was like, let's get you a therapist. And I got a therapist and I was 17, 18 at the time. I'm 23 now. And now I can really say like, I've never been happier but it's taken a lot of work to get there. Um, and I, like I said before, like it not being talked about, it kind of makes you feel like you're going to be judged and it's like something you want to hide and you want to be ashamed of. But as I've gotten older, I've realized I'm not ashamed of it. It's made me who I am as a person. And I think more people need to talk about it. So the next generation doesn't feel like they need to hide it, you know? Mm-hmm. I I and I think that's one of the because I like talking about different barriers that are put in place, whether they're structural or kind of indirect barriers that are put in place that kind of dampen the progress or hinder the progress uh, for like people of color mm-hmm. uh, and creating that generational happiness and that generational wealth and stability. Yeah, um, and so I totally agree that growing up like even with myself and my family and that's because my family is like pretty progressive Mm -hmm. um we just didn't really talk about that stuff like I mean even when my aunts kind of shared that they had you know started taking like some 
anxiety medicine. Um, it was just kind of like, oh, okay. And, you know, kind of like hush hush. Oh, like there yeah. was no judgment, but it was definitely not just kind of like openly talked about. Yeah, not something you're going to talk about at the dinner table. Uh-huh. And I feel like, like you said, like it's deep and like kind of like the minority families, like my mom's family, full Puerto Rican, but it's like that old Puerto Rican where, like you said, like it's like, oh, okay. But then it's like, like we need to make up another story of like why you look like this or why you're doing this and um and I think that can be damaging for some people's psyche because growing up like that you then you start feeling these feelings and it's not anything anyone's talked about not anything your mom has talked about your dad your aunts anything so then you're like am I crazy like what's wrong with me? Like why no one else has, it kind of makes you feel like no one else has experienced it when in reality, there's so many people who have mental health problems and that's okay. Like your mental health is just as important as your physical health. I'm someone who loves to work out and take care of my body, but part of that also should be your mental health because if you're not showing up for yourself, you can't show up a hundred percent for anything else. One of my favorite quotes that kind of plays into this that I've seen a lot more people talking about lately or saying lately is mental health is healthcare. Mm-hmm. There is no distinction between regular healthcare and mental healthcare. Yep. yep. They are one in the same. No, 100%. And very much like you and your experience, college is what did it to me too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Funny how that like works. Growing up, I, thought, I thought high school was going to be, but I was like, I got to college and I like bloomed. <laughs> oh yeah. No, I, if I think back to the person that I was pre-freshman year of college, I am just, I am so different from anything than I had planned for myself. Mm-hmm. And it's so weird how it works out that way. Um, and there's sometimes where I'm like, oh, well, you know, if I wasn't so mentally fucked up, maybe I would have gone to Columbia because I would have stayed yep. at NYU and, and all of this stuff. But then I have to realize that, I, like, I'm a firm believer that, like, everything happens for a reason. Oh, my goodness. I was just saying this earlier I, today. <laughs> I am totally, like, that. I live by that yes. idea. And so I was like, you know, if that's what was not meant to happen that was not meant to happen Mm -hmm. and on top of that I wouldn't have the relationships the friendships that I currently have I wouldn't have my dog who is Mm -hmm. like my daughter you know just like different things like that probably wouldn't have happened yeah Um, and so I just have to kind of accept it and roll with the punches that life throws me no definitely and um like you it made an example of your dog and your friends and everything. It's crazy how you, when you're in this situation, you're like, why is this happening? Like, this isn't fair. This shouldn't be happening. This isn't what I wanted. And then years later, you look down the road and you're like, oh, that happened. So then all these things can happen. And you realize kind of how grateful you are for these things to happen. And I feel like a lot of people can resonate with that this year. Um, So many people have made wildly life-changing decisions this year because COVID was terrible, but it also gave people that sense of life short. Like, why am I doing this if I'm not happy and I should make myself happy? So as far as that movement that happened with COVID, I love it. Love it. I love seeing people happy. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's just kind of like, fuck it, just just do it. You know, if it makes you happy and it's not a danger to yourself or to anyone else, yeah. like, just do it. Like, yeah. I don't care. Just go do it, right? And I'm yeah. going to watch you be happy and, and succeed. Mm-hmm. As far as, um, I don't know if you feel comfortable talking about this at all, Um and feel free to just say no or skip over the question or politely yeah. decline. Um, <laughs> what was your experience like with the eating disorder? The only reason that I ask is because a lot, at least for my case too, and like for different friends that I have that I've talked to, it seems to me that when people are the most mentally, I want to say like not unstable, but like they're the chemicals in their brains are so imbalanced. Mm -hmm. Um, Whenever that happens, it's like we tend to lose weight. Yeah. Um, And it's just because there is no wanting to eat. There's no drive to eat. There's no like craving it. There's no needing it. Um, And it just feels tiring. Um, But it's funny because at the same time, I don't know if any of your family or friends were like, oh, you're so skinny. You look great. Like, oh, oh, my God, all the time. All the time. Yeah, no, people um, when it was like at its worst. And it's funny because me and my boyfriend were talking about that the other day Um, when it was at its worst, uh, just to give like a kind of a visual. I'm five, two. And right now I weigh 129 pounds. At the time when all this was going on, I was same height, but I weighed 110 pounds. So it's kind of, you can look at my pictures now and you're like, she, like I look healthy. Like I'm, I know this is where my body feels comfortable. Um, but then I wasn't. But to the people around me and some of the relationships I had, they looked at me and they were like, oh my God, you look great. Like you look amazing. And sometimes that like, subconsciously like fuels the eating disorder because you kind of start chasing the positive uh like input on it and the feedback um, that you get definitely exactly exactly. it makes you feel good it's like you said like when you're the chemicals in your brain are in balance during that time you want anything that will make you feel good so Mm -hmm. and then it just starts to spiral um I know mine started because I've always been someone that, which I've worked through over the years, but I always wanted people's kind of validation and control over everything. And growing up, I never felt like I kind of belonged in my town. Like I was a part of what you would quote unquote say were the popular group, but I never felt like I belonged. I never felt like connected to them. I always felt like I said about the bars, like I was sticking out like a sore thumb. And so it was like me kind of controlling that because then I started to think, well, the skinnier I get, the more like I'll belong, like only skinny girls belong. And then as my anxiety and depression got worse, like you said, like I just had no energy to eat. Like I just didn't want to do anything. I would skip class. I would lay in bed And so now looking back on it, I'm glad I took a year off of school to focus on myself because I don't think I would be how I am today mentally if it wasn't for that year because I grew a lot during that time, you know? Uh And that's one thing that I regret personally is because so my eating disorder isn't caused by like outside appearances. I Mm -hmm. suffer from something called ARFID. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's avoidant or restrictive food intake disorder. Um, it sometimes it's like extreme picky eating, but a lot of the times it's just fear of food or mm-hmm. certain foods like to where if you think you you eat it you're gonna die like some yeah. way somehow if you think you're gonna eat it you're gonna die yeah so and then that affects you like then you don't want to eat exactly and it has nothing to do with like the way that I look yeah it's just like I don't want to die like you know that sort of thing mm-hmm. and um and so whenever I was losing all this weight because I mean just for just to give an example like I had started college and then I came home for Thanksgiving. So between August and November, I had lost 75 pounds. Oh, my God. And I literally looked like a completely different human being. Mm-hmm. And like there were parts of my body that I had never like seen so bony. Like, yeah. and that was something scary to me. But then I, like, I went to like my doctor's office and my family and my friends and they were like, oh, no, you're healthy for your weight. Oh, no, you're perfectly fine. Oh, no. Like, you look great. You look fabulous. Like, you need to stay like this. And I was like, guys, like, don't you understand? Like, I am dying. Like, yeah, you're like, I'm not eating. Like, does no I know. I was that? like, I am like actually dying, y'all. Like, and there's definitely something wrong with me. Like, mm-hmm. not maybe physically, but like mentally, I am not okay. Like, so how can y'all be trying to positively reinforce this? Exactly. Um, it blows my mind. So oh, if yeah, so if you um, or anyone that's listening, if y'all are experiencing something very similar, I know that the positive feedback can can kind of fuel, like like Christina said, fuel that need or that want to continue um, those practices that are damaging to your health. Mm-hmm. But I say just take it with a grain of salt and understand that not everyone can also see exactly what goes on in your mind. And I'm sure that if people could read minds and see like the thoughts that are processed in someone's head, they would reconsider trying to like reinforce like losing weight or just damaging behavior. Yes, yes. No, definitely. And like it's one thing if the person's eating healthy and like meal prepping and going to the gym and like they're just trying to be more active and like supporting those healthy habits is one thing. But I think the ideology that the smaller you get, the better you look. And it's like, oh my God, you look so good. You've lost so much weight. That kind of needs to be thrown out because not everyone needs to be a a zero or a size one. You know, Um, I range between a size two and a size four, depending on the clothes. I have hips, I have a butt, I'm half Hispanic. And so growing up and seeing like, how every girl wanted to be the size zero and the double zero, that needs to just kind of be thrown out because not everyone's body is born to be like that, you know? And just because you and I might stand next to each other and both weigh, say, 120 pounds, one of us can look super unhealthy and one of us can look healthy. Like, everyone looks different and no one wants to pay attention to that. Like, when you see signs of someone, like, like you said with yours, like there's certain things like you're like, I don't want to eat it. Like I, I can't eat it. I'm scared of it. That needs to be talked about, not because you look good because you've lost weight. But the reason you lost weight is because you're not eating and that needs to be taken care of first. You need to be around, you know? 
Exactly. And I think that that's something that I learned more so this year. So in back in June, I was, I don't know, y'all, sometimes I just spiral. <laughs> I don't know if this happens to y'all. but Yes, yes. No, it's like you have like a two week period where you're like, chaotic energy thousand yeah. percent like uh this was like a 16 week period of just like <laughs> continuous spiraling and the good thing is that because I have consistently gone to therapy and been through intensive outpatient programs before I was able to catch myself mm-hmm. and so I'm lucky in the sense that I have I had learned all of these tools and things to recognize. So that way, if I noticed myself like starting to slip back into old ways, I knew like I was very aware and conscious of that. Yes. Oh, my goodness. I completely relate to that um, because working with my therapist, it was you realize it's like when you're in it, you don't think therapy's working. And then you start to go through that cycle and you're, you like catch yourself thinking something like, oh, like this isn't real. Like don't talk about yourself like that. Or you're, because I have really bad social anxiety. Like I always think everyone's staring at me. Like I could drop a bottle on the floor in Target of Clorox wipes and everyone's staring at me laughing, but it's like, no, they're not laughing. Like you dropped a bottle. Like who cares? It's not a big deal. Like it's okay. Um, and So then to hear yourself like catching that, it's like, oh, wow. Like that also kind of makes you feel good because you're like, look at me. Like I put the work in and I'm, I'm growing. I'm growing. (laughs) Exactly. And you're like, oh, like I can, I can take care of myself. Like I can be more self-reliant. Yes. And I think that is why I love therapy so much. Like, and I'm so fond of it. And I talk about it very, very openly mm-hmm. because I just think it empowers you. No, and it's every single person's therapy sessions and the therapy that they go through is going to be completely different. Like I 100%, 100 million percent assure you that your therapy experience is your therapy experience and no one else's. It no. is unique you. Yeah. And the only like major takeaway that I that I have is like I said before it just it makes you a better version of yourself and it empowers yourself in the sense that you're still going to deal with your demons. Those those just don't disappear. Yes. Like I mean, I'm sorry to say it y'all, if y'all were looking for <laughs> some sugar-coated stuff, you're not going to find that here. Yeah. Your those demons and those things that you struggle with are always going to be around. Yep. It's the difference between being able to manage them yourself, you know, may, whether it be a mix of therapy and medication or not being able to manage or even acknowledge that you are suffering and that you do need help. No, definitely. And um it's just Therapy is one of those things I recommend anyone to go to, even if you don't feel like you have quote unquote something wrong with you, because I know like people will be like, oh, I, like, I don't feel like there's nothing wrong with me. Um, you don't have to have quote unquote something wrong with you, even though m- struggling with it, your mental health isn't doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. It's just the chemicals in your brain are working in this way and you think this way and you want to get out of that thinking. And that's why you go to therapy and then you grow and um, it's like, I like how you said, like, 
it's working on bettering yourself. That's the one thing I've always taken out of therapy. Looking back now, I, I go to therapy once a month now, and I'm always growing and working to be the best version of myself that I can be. And that's what I want to be in life. I want to be happy and I want to be happy within my own self. I don't want to compare myself to other people. I don't want to be unsure of myself. Like I want to be proud of who I am and proud of the girl in the mirror and the friends I have and the people around me and continue to be happy in life because we only have one of them, you know? Oh, like I could for real like tear up right now. Yes. Like, <laughs> I know. Like I, I seriously, I, I, I really could Um, just because like I believe so wholeheartedly in like in the idea that therapy is just good period point blank you know mm-hmm. and there and there period that's it yeah, yeah. That's that's it. Over. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, that's that's the show y'all yeah Done. goodbye have a good night <laughs> uh, goodbye. but I I also stress because like like you said there's a lot of people that are like oh well I don't necessarily have anything wrong with me or I haven't been through anything traumatic like mm-hmm. how would I benefit from therapy I mean, just because you go to your therapist doesn't mean that you just talk about things that are extraordinarily traumatizing. Yeah, like you could just talk about some conversation you had last week and you were like, oh, that kind of annoyed me. And then they ask, well, why did that annoy you? And you're like, because of this. And then 20 minutes later, you're crying on the couch about something and you're like, wow, I didn't know it went that deep. (laughs) Exactly. And it's just like, you know, like with my therapist, like I absolutely love her. And there's also different kinds of therapists. Mm -hmm. So for example, this is the first time that I'm seeing an LPC, like a licensed practicing counselor. Mm -hmm. I believe that's what it stands for. But this is the first time that I'm seeing an LPC, whereas all of the other times, like in the past seven or so years, wait, has it been so? Yeah. In the past seven or so years that I've been attending therapy, I've always seen a social worker, which is, Mm -hmm. you know, an LCSW or an LMSW. Mm -hmm. Um, And those are going to be a little bit different in the way that they're structured and the kinds of things that they teach you and the way they ask questions. Um, It's just very different. And so, uh, like, for example, for my LPC, the one that I see now she is very much like she lets me lead the conversation. She yeah. will not pry into my conversation or into things that I'm telling her about. She just kind of, and it's funny because I explained this to my little sister. I was like, yeah, sometimes like I'll just sit there in silence for like 10 seconds because I don't know what else to yeah, say. Like, what, do, what do I talk about now? Yeah. And it's just kind of like, so that's the way that that therapy is led. But there is a therapy out there that works for everybody. Like there's different types, guys. So like make sure that before you write it off, like as, oh, it's going to be someone asking me like, so how does that make you feel? So how does that make you feel? It's not all like that. If If that's what you want, you can find that. But there are, and, and I, I have always stressed my love of social workers, like and, and especially LCSWs, um, for their clinical therapy help. So if you're practicing cognitive behavioral therapy, um, which is very, very common, mm-hmm. um, especially to deal with like social anxiety, anxiety, depression, um, or like very small level like OCD tendencies. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it's very helpful in the sense that it's more like it teaches you and they teach you, you don't really talk about yourself much or your issues much. And what they do is they teach you like, okay, these are the 10, you know, ways that you could possibly be like misinterpreting, you know, your reality. Um, This is the cycle in which a thought is processed. So if you, you know, catch yourself having negative thoughts here, then just go back to the previous step and, you know, and re-examine. Yes, no, definitely. Like you said, I'm going to a similar therapist as you where she does the same, like we start off our therapy session. She's like, so what's going on? And then I'm like, And then we start talking about something and it's like it snowballs from there. Um, But definitely in the beginning, it was more like a social worker, um, clinical kind of asking me questions. And um, here's a book of why you're feeling this way and different reasons why you can feel this way and how to talk to your thoughts like this. Um, And like you said, like there's different therapy for everyone and everyone always assumes that's just like a one size fits all kind of thing, but it's not. And every conversation is going to be different. We're going to have completely different therapy sessions, even with the same therapist. Like we could have the same therapist and have, she could have one way to work with me and another way to work with you because everything works differently. Um, Mm -hmm. And so you have to find what works for you. And sometimes that might not be the, your first, second, third therapist might not be one that works for you and then you try your fourth and you're like wow like we vibe differently like I feel like safe here like I can talk about my feelings and they it kind of makes me feel a different way and then you find that one um I know I was lucky to the first girl I called ended up being my therapist but it's not always going to be like that and um it's just like what what works for you kind of Mm-hmm. Uh, no, the same. I lucked out too, like with my first call, or I think I had called somebody else, but they never called me back. Mm-hmm. And then I had called my current therapist, and like, and she doesn't take my insurance, so like that part kind of sucks. Yeah, that's the word. I'm mean, like, we can't do that. <laughs> A bitch is broke and she expensive, but like, I absolutely love her. Like, love, 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 love. Want her to be my therapist for the rest of my life. Oh my god, I feel the same way about mine. I was thinking about that the other day. I was like, do you? I was like, am I still gonna be on Facetime with her when I have like children running around? <laughs> yeah, and like, and the thing is, like, you form those sorts of relationships like mm-hmm. with your therapist and like it's very like it, it, I mean it very much is like a patient therapist relationship but you feel like so comfortable around them because they are this unbiased kind of teacher guiding light like you know whatever it is yeah, that just like safe space like non exactly. no judgment zone exactly and so y'all I highly recommend just even just doing a little research, you know, just like hop on Google, type in like therapists near me or yes. LCSWs near me or even go- reading up. Yeah. Or like reading up about the different types of therapy. Um, just become more aware of it. And if you're not comfortable with it, hopefully that's something that the more you read about it and the more you learn about it, you'll become a little bit more comfortable with the idea of therapy. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's definitely, um, you just have to look into it and see what options are there because they're not like we, like we've been saying, like they're not all the same and every 
way they work is different. Every um, track that they use is different. Um, so they can use certain ways to treat people and they'll say that in their description and you might see that and be like, oh no, like I don't really feel comfortable doing that. And then you can see another one that you're like, oh, that, that like sounds kind of good. And you just go from there and kind of pick because there's I feel like there's therapists everywhere. So you can definitely find one near you. <laughs> yes. And so don't hesitate, y'all. Like, it is definitely, like, a no judgment. And no one even has to know that you go to fucking therapy. No, like, no, you don't need to tell anyone. Like, nobody even has to know your business. Mm-hmm. Like, you share your business if you want to share your exactly. business. Exactly. You share it if but, you want to share it. Exactly. And so, y'all, like, as I have said before, and I will say it again, I've said it on the podcast, I've said it on my Therapy Thursdays, and I've said it, like, on my Instagram posts, Social workers save lives. Oh, yeah. Like, and I, that clinical background that they have with combining community resources with like mental health, they 1000% save lives. And I think they are so undervalued in America that it just it angers me to my core like I'm I don't even know anybody that's a social worker like besides like the the therapists that I've had um but I just I feel so strongly about the power that they have um and that they can provide so one th- one I guess article or discussion that um, we have planned for today is talking about uh, criminal justice reform um, and more so how police and social workers um, can or cannot work together um, and be quote unquote dispatched together in order to help mediate different situations. Yeah. No. So. Oh, no. Did, did you want to say something? Oh, no, no. I was just going to say, yeah, no, it definitely needs to be talked about. <laughs> uh-huh. So my first question for you would be, as you have worked on your episodes, are there any in particular that you think that better community intervention and resources would have changed the outcome? Like someone who maybe wasn't a bad apple from the very beginning, but they were just given like just terrible circumstances or put in terrible situations time after time. No, yeah. Honestly, the first one I think of is back to my very first episode. Um, My first episode we did on Mary Bell. And just to give a quick like blurb of what that was about, um, it was a girl. She was 12 at the time. Her and her friend ended up killing two boys in England in the mid 1900s like it was like 1950 1960 I'm pretty sure and um it was I think of her only because there was so much that went on in her life starting from the moment she was born that if you could clearly see if someone stepped in that something could have changed um I think unless you have very valid reasons, I don't think kids should be taken away from their parents, but she was kind of one of those instances that she should have been. Um, Her mother used to pimp her out. Her mother used to tell people that she would wish she would die and she would hit her. And it it wasn't a loving household. Um, So then just as she grew up, she started lashing out at school. she didn't have a lot of friends and the teachers were always writing to home, but her mom wasn't really invested into kind of helping her and worked through her problems. And 
it ended up leading to two boys being killed um, because of what she thought was a game. Um, And I definitely think when it comes to that situation, granted, it's the early, mid-1900s, like, (laughs) stepping in and taking taking people's kids was not a thing. Like, they were like, that's not happening. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's crazy to look back and see, like, not even necessarily took her away from her mom, but maybe brought them to therapy or brought them to these child parent classes or did something of how maybe those boys might not have been killed in the end. So you kind Mm -hmm. of, I know it's easy to be like, wow, like she killed, like, fuck her. Like, no, we're not supporting. But it's like, you still also get that empathy where you're like, I feel bad for you. Like you were so you felt so broken that that was okay to do. Like you didn't have a good upbringing, but then you also have the other conflicting side where it's like you took a life. Like a lot of people go through those things and they're not out killing people. So it's, it's hard when you talk about these things sometimes because people can get um, offended very easily. At the end of the day, I, I said in the episode that multiple people lost their lives in a sense. Yes, those two little boys lost their lives, but Mary and her friend who were involved in it, their innocence is now gone at that point. It's out the window. They are, it was a high profile case. Um, She never had a normal life after that. And it's, you kind of look at it and say, well, what could have been done that could have maybe not allowed this to happen? Mm -hmm. I, definitely agree that it can be a touchy subject um, for a lot of people because it it does strike a chord as far as like, you know, this person obviously suffered like overt and repeated abuse. Mm -hmm. Like this person obviously was very much mistreated and was not given the same kind of opportunities, support, resources as like a common, you know, average other, you know, someone else may have. And at the same time, I, it's like, I feel empathetic and I'm just like, damn, like you were just given like really, really shitty cards, like really, really shitty cards. Like, and so it's like, I feel empathetic at that point. But then on the other hand, there is this idea that, Um, if you have mental health that you're like, or if you have mental health issues, and this is just an opinion, this is like a stigma that's associated with mental health. It's like, oh, you're more likely to be dangerous, like, oh, you're more likely to be a danger to others. Um, So ridiculous. Yeah. And so by saying like, oh, well, you know, they had like a shitty childhood, um, you know, like, and, and so while we we know that they killed someone you know like we also kind of feel bad because they had a shitty childhood and like you said like just because you have a shitty childhood doesn't mean that everybody who's had a shitty childhood is gonna go out and kill somebody yeah you know exactly um and i just think that whenever we talk about this and whenever we note this just in society in general this is not like a blanket statement it's not like oh, if you had a terrible childhood, we feel bad for you and we empathize with you. Like I I at least can say that for myself. Like I don't, whenever I say that, it's not a blanket statement yeah. for every case. It is just for maybe like specific cases. Yeah, um, and it can also serve kind of as an example of like, 
These are things that can happen if we don't better our community intervention resources. It, as we've seen, it can lead to that point, unfortunately, but also even without bettering them, like you said, like not everyone's going to go out and just kill someone because they had a bad childhood. So it's like two sides of a coin and you're like, I want to say this, but I also don't want to say this because this is what I mean. <laughs> yeah. But the way that I see it is like, if, if you have the opportunity to save lives, whether it be that person's life or whoever they were destined or going to kill, like in mm-hmm. the future, right? Um, if you have the opportunity to provide resources and like it doesn't hurt to try you know like at least like we're not saying that every single person who like suffers from trauma or abuse or neglect or has some sort of like mental health uh, disorder like it doesn't mean that you are going to be violent like that 100% is not the case yes but also those those uh resources it's like you can also say well how can we avoid people even experiencing this trauma? How can we in, in kind of put money into things that can keep people out of these situations so they don't, that's not even something that as they get later in life, they're like, oh, this happened to me. Like those words never even come out of their mouth because they didn't because of the resources that were available for them. Exactly. So it's like if we just even just put money into resources and we write legislation that allows for these resources to be put out into all communities, like I don't even want to like pinpoint like, oh, only minority communities, because then that would be assuming that like only minorities have like mental health issues. And it's like, no, uh uh-uh. Like I know some white people that are crazy as fuck (laughs) Like, so we're we're talking about everybody. Everybody. And so I want to know just like your first opinion, like at first thought, what is your idea of, of, or how do you view police and social workers being dispatched together? Like, um, instead of like just police going, but like sending a social worker out with them as well? Yeah, no. So I always definitely been very pro that, um, especially starting with the Michael Brown um, case all the way back in, was it like 2014, 2013? It was years ago. It was like when I started thinking about that and how, um, like the article you sent me said how police sometimes can escalate a problem. So you also have to look at that. And um, like we talked about before, social workers, they go to school for this. They have schooling that gives them resources of how to deal with specific issues that police tend to escalate, um, especially in some neighborhoods where the police are, I think everywhere in America, especially right now, um, the police, you see them and you tense up. Like they have, unfortunately, they have not gotten a good rep in the past couple years and hundreds of years because the whole idea behind the police was never anything good, kind of. Um, But I think there needs to be more of a focus on creating more social work resources and how they can help. Like they get a 
um, this person has autism or this person is um, abusing uh, drugs right now. Like we need someone to come and talk with them or help them through this or whatever it may be. Those types of situations, there shouldn't be someone called who got six months of training and almost 75% of that training was how to disarm someone using a weapon. Um, I wrote a paper in school for one of my classes at the end of this year, and it was on the Black experience in America and how the police in America, over 85% of police departments in America follow a training program similar to Marines. They don't talk about um, mental health, substance abuse, stuff like that, and how they can help these people without instantly pulling out a weapon. And so that's how we all view them. We view them kind of as this like military presence, like you can't kind of reason with them. And so why is if someone's going through this, and as we said before, maybe spiraling, why are they going to listen to you? Like, they don't feel like you're there to help. They feel like you're there to take them to jail or shoot them or taser them or whatever. So social workers need to be kind of put at the forefront of those issues, not the police at all. Mm -hmm. I I agree because it's definitely as if, and like I have family members that are police officers that are border patrol officers as well. Um, And at the same time, it's like, it's hard for me to say like, Oh, you know, like all police officers, like yeah, exactly. And they're very, very hard because I don't think that's the case. Like, I honestly don't think that's the case. However, I think that the kind of training that they have, and this is purely just based off of the training that they have, it is like a weaponized training in which they are taught how to react to violence with more violence. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that like even someone who like is somewhere like on the ASD spectrum, then they may be having some sort of, of moment, right. Or just some sort of, of current very like minuscule kind of breakdown, um, which can be viewed like literally with your eyes, it can be seen as violent. Um, but in reality, it's not like there is no intention to harm someone else or to harm themselves. Um, it's just, you know, it's just like a, a very blip like of a malfunctioning, like yeah. of something that just happened, right? Like it's it like reacts. overwhelming. Like them, exactly. they're being it's overwhelmed. Just like, it's just like react. They're just reacting to mm-hmm. a situation or an experience, but they have no intention of like you know hurting anybody. Mm-hmm. And exactly. like I think like in cases like that, like a social worker like who is trained and who goes through all of this certification and schooling to be able to identify those things and knows exactly how to respond to them. Like, I think that that is extremely helpful. And it's almost like, like, I don't want to say that social workers should be the ones to kind of like you call a dispatcher and then they route you over to a social worker and yeah. then they route you over to the police. But I wish there was like an option. So, cause when you call 911, they're like, you know, 
fire EMS police, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, which one is it? I wish that there was an option for social work mm-hmm. and you could immediately be dispatched like to a social worker because even just talking to them, they don't even have to be dispatched. No. But even just talking to someone who is specifically trained to deal with those types of situations, like can help guide you if you're trying to help someone else or prevent an a situation from escalating, they can provide you those tools like over the phone even. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I mean, I definitely think that it's something that we need to think about taking a little bit more seriously. Um, and then as far as criminal justice reform goes, um, overhauling the training that yeah. that police receive. And I think that I and cr- y'all correct me if I'm wrong because I know I got some listeners that are like very like back back the blue and like that's okay. Um, can someone please um, explain to me whether there is a universal like method of training or universal like curriculum that is used in like these um, police academies? Mm-hmm. Um, as far as I, I know, I think it varies, um, and I'm pretty sure that it varies, like, county to county. Um, and so that – one thing that I really do think would help would be some sort of, like – you can have those, like, specific things from, like, county to county because each county demographic is going to be a little bit different. So the types of cases that you are likely to experience is going to vary um, from county to county. Um, but I think that – including a little bit of like that social work background and making them have some sort of like social work certificate or like c- continuing education, like units. Yeah, like dedicated learning to that. Yes, exactly. Um, just to help rebuild the reputation that m- making you a police officer doesn't inherently make you bad. Yeah. Um, no, you it, literally hit it because, on the head right there. Yeah, yeah, and like I don't think that policing is going to go away anytime soon. Like I know that we have like the defund the police movement, and like I'm like, you know, like I'm all for that. But in all reality, I don't see that happening. Like really, in the next. 10 years like mm-hmm. if I'm just like being realistic with the way that things are currently going and with the way that politics is played I don't see that happening at least for the next decade yeah and so if we can't get that I think the next best step would just be like overhaul the, our criminal justice system yes like how can we kind of change it um like what I immediately think too is Because with my degree, I was strategic communications and my focus, my concentration was public relations. And within one of our classes, um, they taught us how to deal with um, any backlash that the company you're working for faces and how to deal with it. And um, you can connect that to the police because in a way, like the company's not bad. They made a bad decision. Um, Policing being a police officer is not bad. It is a 
reputable uh, profession. And there are a lot of good people who are police officers and they want to make a difference. They want to serve their community and they want to help their community. But there are those bad apples that gave police officers now a bad name. Um, I have people in my family just like you who are police officers or work in some sort of the criminal justice system. And they're not bad people. They have good idea, like they want to just help people, but then they get frustrated because there are these few bad apples that then we see blown up on the news and um, like word travels fast, news travels fast. Like then people see that and they're like, they see a cop and they're like, oh, you're just like the guy that I saw on TV. And that also puts even more lives at on the line. So it's like right now it's just like the country's just headbutting. But I think there is a way that we can rebuild the relationship between the police and the community without always having the police be the first call. You know what I mean? Um, I think so, too. Yeah. Like, they just need more. My thing is, you can't train someone for six months and then and focus mostly on how to disarm a person Um, with deadly force or using a gun and tactical training like that and then send them off into the world with a weapon when 75% of their training is basically focused on how to deal with violence. They're not focusing on mental health issues, substance abuse, how to, in a way, talk someone down off that uh, invisible ledge that they kind of have and not, in a way, push them off. Um, Mm -hmm. And... It's just it's something that needs to be talked about more often because, like you said, with uh, the defund the police, it's I understand where people are coming from 100 percent. And I definitely support it because that money can get put into other things to make it a better community, to avoid the police needing to be called. But the they're still going to be a part of society and we have to find a way that we can all kind of work together to make it better and not be so like separated because being separated is not what's going to make anything change. Being separated is just going to cause arguments and nothing's going to get better, you know? Mm -hmm. I think one of the ways to move forward um, would be if more police unions, if they would actually acknowledge because you know like we say bad apples but it's like hey that bad apple killed an innocent person yeah. you know yes no like, exactly they're not just a bad apple they're yeah. a bad fucking person mm-hmm. um and so it's like i i think if i i understand that not every police officer is bad like i i it's like inherently bad like i yeah. completely agree and understand that but i think that if more police, like as a whole, as one community, acknowledged and said, we have some major issues. Like yes. if this is something that continues happening, we have some major issues. Yes. Like we are not perfect. We are flawed and we want to be better and we want to weed out those people because we don't want that type of person on the force. Yes. I think that would be such a catalyst for opening a line of communication and people are going to be weary you know because like everything comes at a price it's like okay like you say that now but like 
one, are you really going to do it? And two, like, what are you asking for in return? Yes. Um, just because like, that's the shitty like way that society has made people right, like doubting and weary of everything. Yes, no, definitely. Um, but I think that if if we if they just took some accountability, like mm-hmm. publicly as a whole, like there's different like one-off like police officers like there's a police officer in Houston who like posts like a lot of TikToks and stuff on Instagram where he's like engaging with the community and his relationship with a a lot of the community members is like very positive Mm -hmm. and it's like I love to see that but I want to see this on a whole like and I and I need for you all as one group to acknowledge that it's not just bad apples that there is fundamentally something wrong with the structure that y'all have set up, with the yep. training that y'all have set up that allows people like this to even make it through, you know? Yes. yes. Like, how are these people even able to make it into the police academy? Like, we'll see these high profile cases and they'll be like, oh, well, this police officer had this complaint and this complaint and this complaint and this complaint. And it's like a, a CVS receipt long list. And it's like, how are they still a police officer? Like how have, mm-hmm. how are we going to sit here and say, Oh, well, why did this happen? It happened because there's no disciplinary action. There's no proper true, true vetting going on because it's, easy to just go and sign up for the police academy and as long as you've never been arrested before and you can pass a drug test for the most part you're kind of going to be able to go through but we need like you said like it'll open up that conversation if they say no like there is something wrong with how we've been doing this and you can be a part of something and be proud of what you're a part of but also recognize that things need to change you know like we're not saying you have to go and quit your job and start going on strike but for a whole police department in the community to say no like we are going to work to be better do things differently to make you realize you can trust us that we just want the best for you and have a list of what they're going to do like you said how it's not just like oh we support you and it's just talk it's more action like I think a lot of people have gotten to the point where they don't want to hear the talk they want to see the action they want to see fundamental change but sometimes some of the change they're asking for is stuff that you're not going to see for decades so it's like how can we talk about things we can change now things we can implement right now this year that can have changes going forward Mm -hmm. like what are those easy small wins that we can have like I know that they're small wins right and like and that's just fucking annoying because we have some very like just structural like racist and classist Mm -hmm. ideas that are just ingrained in American society yes um But what are those like just small wins, quick grabs that we can have? And like I said, I think one, having the unions come out and accept accountability um, and accept responsibility, I think, is one of the biggest things they can do. Because I also understand that like a a lot of these police academies – 
um, and even just like in the military, they prey on minorities mm-hmm. or like areas that are largely unwealthy or unrepresented. Um, and so a lot of the people that I know personally um, that have either joined like Border Patrol or police force um, or the military do so because that's the way out. Like that's the way that you have a steady job that you can provide for your family. It's like maybe you ended up in the job not because you really, really wanted it. Like that was your dream. But just because like that is like that was a safety. That was like a a safe grab and something that you knew that you could do to support yourself. Right. And give yourself Mm -hmm. like a fair shot Mm -hmm. um, at being successful or happy in life. Um, and so, like, I also don't want to say, like, oh, you know, like, well, all police are terrible. They just all have to quit their jobs and, like, up and leave. Because I'm like, no, not everyone can afford that. Exactly. Like, for a lot of people, like, I think they end up in the force um, because it's what's open to them. It's yeah, like the, the only opportunity. Yes. And I, I lived in a, a very small border town by the name of Mission, Texas. Um, for the majority of my life. And it's about a 20 minute drive, like into Mexico, like it's just like, it's right there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And the amount of times at school that we had like the border patrol or police officers like in high school um, come like our junior and senior year to recruit us, like was just absolutely insane. Like, and it was always like this big assembly and we would go for like, you know, during like our seventh period or something. And they were always like, yeah, recruit, recruitment, recruitment. This is amazing. You get like, you get this pay, you get this insurance, uh, you know, you can care for your family. You get like weekends off and stuff like that. Yeah. And so I'm just like, I understand that the system preys upon those who are not given the same opportunities. Yeah. But no, I they, actually, their families could not have the ability to send them to college unless they're getting that full ride scholarship. And it's like, I don't want to spend and take out all these loans for school versus here's something I go to training for six months a year and I'm out and they can be paid a lot of money to do these things. And it's like they're they're out of maybe where they grew up or their current situation and how they can make it better. Mm -hmm. And I think that if we include social workers like in that realm of like community resources um, that you think of in like an emergency situation. I think one will be creating a better reputation or kind of like restarting a reputation like for police officers. And at the same time, we'll be actually raising social work like to the level at which I think it should be taken. Yes, no, definitely. You'll you'll see those people coming into the schools and recruiting people for social work versus police. You'll see more focus of how and realization of what social workers can do. Because I feel like a lot of people, for the most part, they don't realize the true ability that social workers have and the knowledge and the schooling that they get and how that can truly help a community. Um, I feel like because of a lot of like pop culture movies and TV shows, people hear a social worker and they automatically think DCF, when in reality, it's social work is such a 
huge, huge net of different things. Um, it's not just that. And they're not, they want to help you and they want to make the community better. Mm -hmm. And I think that we have the opportunity. I think like right now is like the prime opportunity to suggest legislation, like universal legislation that either pilots this sort of program like throughout an entire state. Mm -hmm. Because I know that that police and social workers like working together and being dispatched like isn't new. Like I, I know that it currently happens, um, that it's like piloted in some cities. Um, but I think that like, for example, like Houston, like it's already like deployed there. But I think that there should be a fair chance given to this idea or this opportunity, like, and applied to a whole state um, mm -hmm. just to see really like what happens. Kind of be like um, that hamster. Exactly. Like be that guinea pig, um, especially because when you think about like a certain city, like I said, each city is going to have different types of crimes performed. So it's like, you know, in what you might expect out in like rural areas is going to be completely different than what you face like on a daily basis in urban areas. Yeah. And like one thing for suburban. So when I think about just cities, I'm like, okay, that's, a good case study but it's only giving me like one type like of case study like on possibly like very specific types of crimes being committed like I want to see what this looks like holistically like yes. when it's applied to everyone across the state equally and I think part of the issue is um we should do that a thousand percent but Right now, especially in the kind of political storm we're living in, people are very ingrained into what they believe. And there's not a lot of, in a way, compromise happening. Um, I've seen people say this idea that the police and uh, social workers should work together is very liberal and um, very progressive. And it's not how the way things should be. That's not um, what the constitution was made for. And it's like, you can't expect the country to move forward if you're not willing to mold and shape based off how the country moves. You know what I mean? Like we're clearly seeing this as an issue that's going on in our country. How can we fix this? What does each kind of quote unquote side want? What can we do to work together and make it better for the community? Because the people who are writing these legislations, they're representing their community. So how can your community benefit from this? Like go into the community and talk to these people and see what see what they have to say about it. And it's hard when um, some of the people who are in power are very like they're it's like they wanna just turn their head when they hear about something or someone talk about something that they don't Yeah, have like to they just like with. pay attention to whoever gives them the yes, most money. Yes. And it's like you, you got my attention when you were explaining your standpoint. Now you should listen to mine, you know, and how can we morph those two together and make them into something together going forward that we can both support? Because obviously everyone's going to have two different beliefs, two different issues or 
uh, ways that they see this working or how it would work, but how can we talk about this and kind of create a plan together versus being at sort of this stalemate with these things still happening and nothing being done. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I'm very much the type of person that likes to put two juxtaposing like political issues side by side and say like, you can support both. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I can back the blue, but also think that they have some really, really serious issues that they need to fix and that we need to re-examine like as a society. So I, I think that just because you are one side um, or you have a certain stake doesn't mean that you can't also at the same time like support like the progressive cause like moving yes. forward. Yes. Um, the two aren't mutually exclusive. Mm-mm. And it, at times like even then like I become a little scared to even just say that period because there's a lot of people who like I know that are like on my Facebook feed or on my Instagram or on my Twitter that are just like, no, like damn them all to hell. Like fuck police. Like they're all just bad. Like we need to do away with them. Like I don't like them. Like kill kill someone on sight. Like that sort of thing. Yeah. And I'm just like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like I do not share. I'm like, I do not share that same thought. Like, no, 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 no. Like, please don't kill my family members. Like, please, like they are not bad people. No. Um, And so even I become scared sometimes of being a progressive that prioritizes creating like civil conversations, like, and that puts policy over party. Yes. No, I, I saw that on your Instagram story the other day. And I was like, that's exactly what it should be. Um, people are so quick. I'm Republican or I'm Democrat and I'm, I'm proud of that. And whatever the Democrats believe in, I'm only going to believe in that. But it shouldn't be so like black and white. You know, it should be more of like, like kind of like a rainbow. Like, how can we morph everything together and focus more on the policies and what our communities want and what can help them versus if we're blue or red, you know? I Yeah, I, I agree. And I even think that there are like beginning things that you can do like in society to help like elevate the work that is done like by social workers or like by those who just work like in the mental health profession. Um, And there's ways that you can help have more people like respect it and understand what it all entails. And so that's something that tomorrow we have, uh, I I have my first kind of like powwow for like my campaign and platform Mm -hmm. development and that is one thing that I'm going to to discuss is really, <coughs> sorry, how do we get that low-hanging fruit? Yeah. What, you know, what are the quick wins? What are the quick grabs? I can't believe tomorrow's already Thursday. I know, right? This week has I, I know. And this entire year, for some reason, has felt like forever. Like, mm-hmm. I think about things that happened in January or February and it feels like it happened last January. I know. Um, but I have my first powwow tomorrow. Sorry, I'm stealing your word. No, um, you're I, have, like, you I have my first powwow tomorrow Please. about like yes. building out my campaign platform. Um, and I'm very excited because 
I definitely think that we need to have more people who are, I don't want to say more willing to like cross the aisle because that is such like a political term. Like, yeah. you know, like why is that so fucking bad? Like Jesus Christ. Um, so it's like, I don't want to say cross the aisle, but people who are focused like on the community, like on the people and what truly is better for them and someone that can one, like listen to them and create policies like based on like their feedback, yeah. but then someone who also can see like, hey, like this might not be something that you notice, but I notice it and I know that we can do something about it. And, yeah. you know, and so I'm just, I'm so excited to be starting this journey. And so like, I thank you so you. much because you've been so supportive. Oh my God, I always and, will be. Like, it truly, like, it means so much because like, I've been saying that this was what I'm going to do like my entire life. And everybody was always just kind of like, oh, that's Claudia. Like, oh yeah, like, that's her. Claudia, Claudia yeah. Yeah, like, that's just her being crazy. Um, and now I'm actually doing it. Like, you know, I'm yeah. very much like a put a money, put the money where your mouth is, like, sort of person. Yeah. And so I'm like, okay, like, I said I was going to do it. Time for me to do it. Like, yes. kind of scared, but let's go. No, you got um, this. And I'm so happy for you. I love seeing your posts and everything. It makes me so happy. Right when you told, like, when you were posting that you were, like, starting it, I, I immediately sent it to my brother. I'm like, you have to tell everyone you know. Like, you, I already knew. I was like, this girl, you got, you need to watch her. Like, she's going to be a force of nature. I mark my words. <laughs> Oh, that's so sweet. Oh, well, thank you. And I've loved like our conversation. And y'all, please check out her podcast. Do you want to give them your handles like for social media? Yeah, it's just the CMP podcast, all one word, uh, lowercase. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Um, we're on Apple, Spotify, m any major podcast platform. Um and yeah, if you guys are interested, like I said, we talk about mental health, we talk about true crime, we talk about some paranormal, we laugh, we do weird shit, and that's how it is. <laughs> y'all, this isn't like an if you're interested, this is a y'all better be interested. <laughs> like after the entire so. conversation, I better, she better tell me that she sees an influx of listeners after <laughs> listening to this episode, y'all. Thank you, Christina. It's okay. been amazing. Thank you for having me. And I guess we'll see you soon. Yeah. Because this is going to be something that we do once a month. I don't think yep. I stated that in the beginning. No, I just realized. Yeah. No, we didn't. Yes, it's going to be a once a month thing. Yeah, so big surprise. And then I will also be going on to Christina's podcast. Yes. And we'll be talking like about cases and kind of like our takeaways. Yes. And so if y'all just want to like escape every once in a while or you only want to listen to like these crossover episodes, then like feel free to. Like that's even fine with me. You, you don't yeah. have to listen to any of my other episodes. But if you just want to listen to these, like that's perfectly fine with me. They're good. They're good episodes. You guys should go and listen. Don't, yes. don't miss out. Don't miss out. Alrighty, y'all. So that's it for this episode. We'll catch you on the next one. Bye, guys. Bye.